You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. about to start our Advent series. Um, it is the end of Thanksgiving now. It's the beginning of December. Uh, and man, for, at least for me, I, I am so excited. I am so excited. I love Christmas, right? I love Christmas. I love the season. I love everything that has to do with December and with the Christmas trees and with driving and with, in the snow and, and all of that stuff. I, I love it. And, and honestly, I think... Um, in my life, I think I can honestly say that I haven't met a single person who doesn't like Christmas. Honestly, a single person. If that is you, then I, email me. Email me. Let, me. let me know. I will, I will probably delete the email, but <laughs> I will also respond. Uh, I will respond, and I will uh, love to talk to you. And, and just, I, will, I will convince you that Christmas is good, right? Um, I don't know. I think it's... I think it's something just magical about Christmas, to be honest. I think um, when you think about even waking up in the morning, right, and you look out the mirror, or you look out the, the window, right, not the mirror, when you look out the window, right, and you see everything just covered in snow, it's still, even now, like, it, it brings something up in me. Um, I think even now, uh, it's something magical is, when you go into your storage and you, and you bring out your fake tree, right, and you, and you push it together and you, you put it in and, and, you put Christmas, and you put the Christmas gifts under, there's something magical about that. Um, and I think there's something magical about just being under, near the fireplace with your family or with your friends uh, and just being in the safety of your home. And, and I think that's what Christmas, and that's what a large part of Christmas is, is just being with people and just enjoying your time together in the safety of your home. That's that season. But at the same time, I also believe that there's no other holiday, there's no other season, there's no other time in this world, in this, in this year, that bombards you with the idea that everything will be perfect right now. There is no other time that tells you that your family strife, that your relational problems, that everything in your life that's going on right now will be perfectly healed in this moment. Because every single commercial that we watch, every movie that we see, every single thing that is given to us, we are being constantly told that everything in this lifetime will be healed and made prosperous and good. And when the Christmas morning comes, Man, your, your kids are going to be perfect, and your relationships are going to be perfect, and everything will be good. And I think that's why for a lot of us, we have something called the Christmas blues, that after the 25th of December, a lot of us fall into a type of depression. And I think it's because this world, it promises us something, it promises us that it, something is going to happen where everything is going to get resolved, where everything will come together, and yet that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And so we fall into this type of depression. 
But you see, the Bible, it says something different. Because the word Advent, it means arrival. And it's not just about the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's talking about what Jesus is doing right now in our lives today and what he will be doing in the future when he comes again the second time. Because you see, Jesus, he came as a baby before, but he will be coming as a king in the future. And he'll be coming to take us home. And so Advent is us remembering what he has done, but also an expectation for what he will do. And that's the true meaning of this season. That's what Advent is. And so why? Why did we read a bunch of names, huh? Because in this passage here, what we're going to go over are just two very simple things. That God, he gives us a promise. And that this promise is fulfilled. And this promise will be fulfilled. And secondly, that he gives us a name. And those two things are only done through the birth of Jesus Christ. And so, because of this promise, and because of this name, not only are we able to just endure this time, but we are able to thrive and have joy in our lives right now. Because you see, promises, they're, they're hard. Because when someone keeps their promise, yes, it's a beautiful thing, it's a great thing. But what happens when promises aren't kept? What happens when promises aren't fulfilled? What happens when we feel like God doesn't keep his promises to us? You see, verse 1, it starts like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God, he promises something to Abraham. He says that, he says, Abraham, your, your, your descendants, they're going to be like the stars in the sky. They're going to be like the sand in the seashore. They're going to be so numerous. And your one offspring, he will bless all the nations. You see, God was talking about Jesus there. And later, God is talking to David. And he says, David, you are on the throne right now, but your descendant, he will be on the throne and he will reign forever. God, he gives both these men, a certain promise, a certain promise to, to be fulfilled. But you see, Abraham, he was born 2,000 years before Jesus. And David, he was born 1,000 years before Jesus. And so, yes, they heard these promises, but they never saw them fulfilled. God, he says again and again to Abraham, to David, that he will fulfill his promise. And yet, we know when someone breaks their promise, it's not just about breaking their word. We begin to question their character. And so I wonder if Abraham and if David, when their promise wasn't fulfilled, if they began to wonder and question God's character. Because here in this passage, we have this huge line of people, this huge, this huge line of names. And throughout the Old Testament, we have seen prophet after prophet come into the nation of Israel. And they have warned them, yes, but they have also given them hope. They have said, look, you need to turn around, you need to repent. But at the same time, know that there is a king who is coming. Know that there is something good. Know that there is a hope to be had. 
But something strange happens in the Old Testament because after the prophet Malachi, there's this silence. There's a silence. For 400 years, not a single prophet is risen up. Not a single prophet comes up and talks to the nation of Israel. In fact, Israel is torn apart. They are sent out in exile. They are put under a foreign rule. So it's, not, it's, it's as if God, he didn't even forget about them. It's like they're going the opposite direction of what God has promised for them. But at the end of this passage, at the end of this passage, we see the truth that Jesus was born and that God, he does fulfill his promises. And that's what we learn from this family line, that it seems like God forgets, but he never forgets his promises to us. And it may not come in the way that you had imagined. It may not come in the way that you had hoped. And it may not come in the timing that you want. But when his promises do come true, and they will, they are better and more beautiful than we could ever imagine. You know, Christmas is, and it can be, a really difficult time for a lot of people. All this season does is a lot of times remind us of things that we don't have. Christmas is about family. But God, where's my family? God, where's, where's my husband? Where's my wife? Where's my children? Christmas is about gifts. God, where's my gift? Where's the money? Where's the possessions? Where's the things that I want? Christmas, it's about hope. But what happens when you can barely get through today? When mentally you are exhausted? When emotionally you are spent? When physically you just can't get up in the morning? God makes us promises in this Bible that just seem like they're not true promises to bless us, to give us the desires of our heart, to provide for us in our need. And it seems so dark at times. And it seems like it's pitch black. But we have to understand that there is a light that comes out of the darkness. Because the light of the world is born. The king of this world, the Messiah, the promised Savior, is born. God, he always fulfills his promises, but he doesn't work in the time frame that we set him in. It can look like we're abandoned and we're alone, but God is here and he is working in your life right now. In baseball, the, one of the best batters in the history of the world and the history of baseball is Babe Ruth. His batting average is a .342. That means every time he came up to bat, every three times he came up to bat, he would only go on base once. But you see, our God, he doesn't swing and miss. He has never swung and missed. He always fulfills his promises. He has always done what he has said. Every promise that is in the Bible, he has fulfilled or he will fulfill. His promises are sure, and you can trust in that. And this is the very first promise, and this is the promise that we can hold on to here, that he has promised things 2,000 years ago to Abraham. He has promised something 1,000 years ago to David, and he has fulfilled them in the birth of Jesus Christ. 
but he doesn't work in our time frame. He doesn't work in our imagination. You know, in C.S. Lewis's book, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan and Lucy are on their way to meet someone named Aslan. And all they know is, is what they've heard, that Aslan is the king of Narnia, that he's the lord over the woods. And the conversation, it goes like this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. God is not a God that we can confine within our imaginations. When C.S. Lewis is talking about this safety, I think he's talking about how we try to picture how God is going to work. We try to picture how God is going to move, and we say, ah, if I do this, then obviously God is going to go here. And if I move here, then obviously God is going to do this. But that's not the way that God works because he is not confined within our 2D, 3D type of mindset. He's not confined within our imagination. He's not confined within the box that we try to put him in. He's not safe. He can do absolutely anything he wants. But one thing that you can be assured of, one thing that he does promise, and one thing that we know of his character is that he's good. He's good. And he loves you. He is in love with you. And so that's one thing that we can hold on to. Even if everything else is falling apart, even if the time frame, even if things in your life seem to be going haywire, even if God seems like he's not fulfilling his promises, hold on to the fact that God is good. Because he doesn't work in our time frame. He will never work in the way that we want him to, that we expect him to, because he has bigger things in store for us in our lives. He's not safe, but he's good. He's the king. You see, that's the first thing that God gives us here. He always fulfills his promises to us. And secondly, he gives us a name. You know, we are based entirely upon our accomplishments and what we can and can't do. You know, I, I read um, an article uh, Harvard this past year had 43,000 applicants, student applicants. They accepted less than 2,000. It was around a 4.6 or something percent acceptance rate. It was the lowest in, I think, uh, a really long time. That's kind of disheartening, right? <laughs> but at the same time, if, if you want to move past college, Google, Google had about 2 million applicants, and they had less than, I think, 7,000 people get accepted to work there. And so there was a less than 1% acceptance rate for Google, right? And so we see all these different types of things where people, they try so hard to base their life on accomplishments. And we base everything on our resumes and upon what we have done in the past. And yet we see that there are still things that we cannot accomplish on our own. And it messes us up. You know, an employer, he looks at what you've done in order to judge what you will do. And that's why for a lot of us, our resumes are so important. They need to be so perfect. If you've ever gone to a resume workshop, what they teach you there is there's a, a, an advisor that comes and he, he looks over your resume and he says, oh, this thing here for this particular job, you need to take this out. It's not going to help you at all. So, so fix this. Cut, cut it out. Oh, this part here, this is actually going to help you. So why don't you expand on this a little bit more? 
And so they tell you what parts you need to take out, and they also tell you what parts you need to expand in more. And by fixing our resume, that's how a lot of times you get accepted into a job. You see, back then, a genealogy was their resume. What mattered was who your family was. And so if your ancestors and if your parents, if they were royalty, man, you were royalty. If they were rich, you were rich. But if they were poor, if they were liars, stealers, thieves, prisoners, that would be your calling as well. You would follow along the genealogy. And so what happened is, is, is interesting because when you read genealogies back then, you see a lot of skipped lines. You see a lot of skipped generations. And what they're doing is they're fixing their resume in a way. They're fixing their genealogy because they would get rid of family members. They would get rid of ancestors who would lower their value. And so most of these family lines, we would see Jewish father after Jewish father after Jewish father. But what's strange about this genealogy in particular is that this genealogy has people in it that we would never expect, that we would never expect. You see, in verse 3 to 6, we see something really strange. Because in the line of Jesus, there are five women who are named. We have Tamar, we have Rahab, we have Ruth, we have the wife of Uriah, and at the end we have Mary. This is strange by itself because you would never include women in the lineage that, back then. Because in such a male-dominated society, that's just something that you wouldn't do. But not only that, these women weren't even nobility, these, weren't, these women weren't high class, these women weren't anything like that. These women had committed terrible sins. What we realize in the Bible is that Tamar, actually, she had committed incest with her father-in-law to produce two sons. And so because of that, she was actually cast out, and she was considered unclean. We see Rahab, who was a prostitute, who lived in Jericho when the Israelites came. These women were, had committed terrible, terrible sins, and yet they were put under the name of Jesus. And not only were they doing these things, they weren't even Jewish. You see, Ruth, she was a Moabite, and Rahab was a Canaanite. And what we've learned before is that if you're not Jewish, then you're almost considered a lesser breed, that you're almost considered a dog or a wild animal. And through the Mosaic Law, these people weren't even allowed in the temple to worship God. Because what we believe is that God is a holy God. He is a righteous God, and he can't be combined with sin. And if we believe that, then back then, at the same time, there was one place called the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled. And there was only one person in the entire world that could enter the Holy of Holies. It was the Israelite high priest. And he could only enter it one time of year at the Day of Atonement. There was this huge barrier in place because God, who is holy, cannot be with sin. But something happened here. Something that broke the barrier. And it's that Jesus came to earth. And through his birth, and through his death, and through his resurrection, that barrier is completely gone. And now we are able to have a relationship with him. 
And that's why God would include these women. That's why God would include sinners. That's why God is able to include these people in the name under Jesus. Because we would think that he would only include the best of the best. People like David, the man after God's own heart. But we see here that he does include David, but he includes him in in an interesting way. Look at verse 6. It says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Why would Matthew put the wife of Uriah instead of just Bathsheba? What he's doing is he's forcing us to remember what happened. Because what we know is that Bathsheba was, was the wife of Uriah. And she was this beautiful woman. David fell in love with her. He impregnated her. And out of his guilt, he kills Uriah. This man that everyone would want on their resume is no better than anyone else on that list. It shows that, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if you are a king. It doesn't matter if you are a prostitute. It doesn't matter because God's grace covers you. The grace of Jesus Christ through his birth and his death and his resurrection is enough for you. Jesus, he doesn't care who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter how terrible your past is. You are forgiven. Do you believe that? You are set free. You have no bondage anymore. Your chains are completely gone. They are no more. And we have it because we are under the name of Jesus Christ. When you look at these names here in the Bible, we see incest, adultery, murder, prostitution, and yet they are all under the name of Jesus Christ because he has forgiven us. He has given us a new name. He has given us new blood. He has given us a new family. In Hebrews 2, he says, I am not ashamed of you. No, I am in fact proud of you. Because you are my son. Because you are my daughter. So believe in that. You can trust in that thing. Jesus doesn't care who you are or what you've done. You are under his name. You are under his name. You see, God, he doesn't have a plan B for your life. Your mistakes and your sin, it doesn't change God's ultimate plan for your life. I think for a lot of us, and I'm going to close with this, is that we a lot of times think that our sin and the things that we have done in our lives and and, and our past is just too much for God to overcome. But I want you to understand this, that God doesn't have a plan B for your life. When you look at verse 2, it talks about Judah, the son of Jacob. Do you know how Judah was born? Jacob, he lied to his father. He stole from his brother. He completely destroyed his family and was chased out into the wilderness. He paid for his sins. He paid the consequences of what he did. And yet, even in the wilderness, he found Rachel. He fell in love. And through their union, Jesus Christ was born. God does not have a plan B for your life. In this place, 
Brothers and sisters, you are a son and a daughter of the Most High. And your mistakes, the things that you have done, are not looming over you anymore. And they're not looming over you for one reason, because of the birth of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so for us in this season, in this season of Advent, remember that. Remember the promises of God, that they will always be fulfilled. And remember that you are under his name. And under his name, man, you are fulfilled. Let's pray. At this time, let's just take a few minutes to understand that as we go into Advent, and as we go into this time of arrival, that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, and he will be coming again. That right now, in this season, although things may be hectic, although things may be up and down in our lives, although our circumstances and situations may change, God is constant. He is forever. He is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same tomorrow. And the promises that he has promised you will be the same today. Those promises are still in effect right now. And we can trust in the fact that Jesus Christ was born. That he never, that he never forgets his promises. That he never forgets what he is going to do for you. So trust in that. Believe in that. For a lot of us, we think that my sin, my past, the things that I've gone through are just too much for God. They are just too much for God to overcome. But I want you to know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that he is your personal Savior and Lord, your name is already written down. Your name is already under the family line of Jesus Christ. And it will never be wiped away. It will never be erased. Your name is there right now. And so have that assurance. And have that peace. And mostly have that hope for the future. In your circumstances, in your situations, whatever you're going through right now, have hope and believe and trust that God is working in your life and that he considers you his son, his daughter. Dwell on that. Pray in that. Give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray.